The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, the Feast of the Epiphany, the, uh, the Epiphany of the Lord. And we celebrate uh, this feast with, uh, with the gospel passage that corresponds to the event, right? This describes the epiphany, at least in part, because um, in, the ca- in the Catholic world of thought, in, in theology, the epiphany is three events. And we celebrate them all together, and then we spread them out a little bit in time over, the, over these days uh, so that we can get into the theme of God's manifestation uh, of himself, God's revelation of himself, of his glory, of his plan uh, to rescue his world, and his plan, of course, taking flesh in and as uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, this, this epiphany scene we have, we hold it together also with Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, the great uh, proclamation from the clouds, this is my beloved son, and the anointing of Jesus with the Spirit to mark him out as God's anointed king. We also um, look forward to uh, the first of Jesus's many public works, uh, the uh, wedding feast at Cana and the, and the turning of water into wine. All of those three events are held together in, in Catholic thought and in Catholic liturgy to some extent um, as epiphany-themed uh, reflections that, that are worthy of our, of our time, our attention, our energy. Uh, so yeah, but we have this in front of us today. Let's deal with that. Yeah, come on, Father. Let's deal with one thing at a time. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. I have to give. I have to give you the whole thing. Okay. But we'll get. We'll get down to it. There's so much going on in this. In this passage, there's so much going on in uh, in the Epiphany that that we celebrate. You know, uh, we moved our figurines. Do you see that? Did you catch that? Yeah. The, I mean, the Magi are over there now. They were here. You know, the sh- these guys were over there. We threw the shepherds out again. Do you know? They're back where they belong. They're out in the fields. Get out of there. Okay, now the, now the Magi. Now, we're not told that they're kings, by the way. Yeah, Magi could mean any number of things in, in, that, in that day, uh, including like magicians, um, perhaps, uh, how would we say, uh, astrologers or astronomers, and all those things kind of 
kind of bleed together for them. But there, it's quite clear that they're stargazers. Yeah, all of this is very kind of secondary stuff, but you got to start somewhere, right? They, they're like, they're, they're stargazers. Yeah, and what do they see? They, they see the star that reveals to them a newborn king of the Jews. And uh, we've tried to push back into that time. We know we're stargazers ourselves. We know a lot about the appearances of stars. And it happens that around 7 AD, uh, Saturn and Jupiter appear in, in tandem three times. It's, it's important, I think, because, of course, uh, Saturn is, uh, is the star that resembles the Jew, Jews or the Jewish people. And Jupiter is a royal star. So, I mean, you don't have to go too far to hold those together and realize that something special was happening. And of course, look, this, th this might seem a bit hokey to you, but, uh, but it really is not. When we consider the unity of all creation, when we consider that God is creator of all things, including his plan of redemption, right? So it, it's, it's, it's not, a, it should not be a surprise to us that God also, God, he also writes it in the sky. Yeah. And, and if we know anything about God, and we know that, for, as, as a small example, he delights in you, right? <laughs> that he is head over heels in love with you, he does silly things that people in love with other people do, like write things in the, write things in the sky. So we, there's, there's nothing at all hokey about this. Yeah? And I mean, we would, we would do better to hold all these things together in our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I've, I can see our, uh, I can see a couple of our school children. So I like to think, you know, we do a good job of holding these things all together in the way that we approach things like science, things like math, things like literature, right? We, we hold them all together because, not because, um, you know, we, we want to be more pious than, than thou, right? We, we don't want, we don't want our children to be over pious. We don't want to be over pious ourselves, but we want to, we want to really embrace who God is and what he's doing in his world. How marvelous he is and how marvelous is his love for us, right? And we can, we can delight in that. We can have great joy, uh, in his, in his handiwork. Anyway, look. Yeah, he's all, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sidebar. Yeah, come on, get to it. Yeah, okay. So look, the, what is the driving theme of the gospel passage? The driving theme of the gospel passage is kingship. It's kingship. Jesus, not just some random newborn, okay, that guy's God, and hey, cool, everything. No, Jesus is the newborn king of the Jews. You know, it's, every now and again, it's, um, it's, it's remarked, you know, how, oh, how nice the, uh, the nativity scene is. You know, and you, and you can be drawn into it, right? You can come and look at the nativity scene, and I think this is appropriate. You look at it, you gaze on it, you're drawn into it in contemplation, how good God is, right? How marvelous his plan. How he's drawn us to himself with the attractive power of his own, of his own love and his, and his, his love for us. But it's not, it's not as though, uh, that's, that's a scene without teeth, right? This, there, there's something going on there that upsets Herod to such an extent that he's got to go out and persecute toddlers. Right? This is a, this is a, this is a massive problem for him. He recognizes the threat that Jesus poses. In part because, of course, he's making that claim himself. He, he is laying claim to the title King of the Jews. So if there is a rival claimant to the throne, he's got to go and snuff, snuff him out. And in part because, what? Because his life centers on counterfeit gods. Right? His, his life is not in order. His loves are not in order. Right? Somewhere near the center, power. So maybe at the very center for him is power. 
and he gets it, and what happens? It's not like he can rest secure in the fact that he's powerful. No, he's driven insane by his power. That's a historical fact, yeah? So that he's driven crazy by his power, because now he's got to do everything to preserve it, including slaughtering innocent people. And he had no, he had no problem doing that. We know that. But he, but he the, the, great, um, the great powerful man that he was, the slaughterer of innocence that he was, found Jesus, the baby Jesus, to be a threat to him. Because not only is Jesus, okay, claimant to the throne, he is the rightful king of the Jews. As we heard in the, in the psalm that was sung for us tonight so well, thank you, Mark, was that um, the, the king of the Jews is the Lord of all nations. He's the one who has all the power. He's the one who, who embodies and, uh, and holds the authority of God. And if he's the, and if he's the, uh, if he's the Lord of all nations, and we know him to be and we claim him to be, he's also the rightful ruler of every human heart. And then we're celebrating that today. Now, okay, this, it's all about kingship. But can I say, this passage here, the beginning of the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, also points forward to, I think it's the 27th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. You can, you can read it and, and tell me I'm wrong later, okay? So the 27th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. We're, we're looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. Because the next time that we see Jesus hailed as king of the Jews by Gentiles, it's by the Roman soldiers. Yeah? You remember that. Hail king of the Jews, they're mistreating him, right? To put it, <laughs> to put it very lightly. They're mistreating him. They call him king of the Jews. This scene points forward to that. And they crown him. Right here, the mage, I bring him what? They bring him gifts that, that befit a king. All, they make their whole journey because he is the king. But they're also, and some of these, some of these gifts, by the way, can, can also be given to gods. So there's a bit of, right, stir the imagination there. These men making this massive trip in order to see someone who's king. And, and perhaps even this is caught up in the plan of God. Perhaps this is God himself. This is the work of God himself. Right? With great eagerness, they, they run off. To, but they, get, they, they crown him, right? They, they give him gold. This is what it means. They crown him. And there, at the, in the 27th chapter of the Gospel of, of Matthew, he, Jesus is crowned again, but with thorns. And he's enthroned. He's throned now, enthroned not, now not on the lap of, of the Blessed Mother, but he is, he's enthroned on the cross. The cross, can I say, of his glory. The cross of his kingship. Right? He, he, there, um, how would I say? Yeah. Here, in the manger scene, we have the star that illumines the night sky. There, in the middle of the day, darkness covers the earth. And out of the darkness comes the voice. He truly was the, the son of God. Right? From the people who gather around. Yeah, so there is a, there is, there's a nice parallel here. And this, this again points forward. Now, what does it, what does that mean? We're looking at two scenes of kingship there. And in fact, the first one, even though this is the kingship of a, of a baby, a newborn king of the Jews, it points forward, it, it might, it might reveal more clearly the kingship of Jesus than the cross. If we were to take that scene by itself. But knowing that Jesus is the king, we have to allow our, our view of kingship to be changed and formed around him. This is what it means for him to be king. This is what it means for God to reign as king. He will go to the death for you. And he will lead us as God's Messiah and as the man at the head of his movement. He will lead us through death to new life. But we now have to make our pilgrimage to him. We have to bring our gifts to him. Now let me, let me let's, can I see if I can find it? Uh, what did they bring? Yeah, they opened their treasures 
They offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let me, let me say this with, um, with a real lack of reverence, actually. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who cares? Who cares about gold and frankincense and myrrh? Who cares? These guys asked me, you want to smoke up the place tonight? You know, you know what I mean. Bring the incense out. You know what I mean. Come on, people. Get real. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, you know, I want to be... I want to be somewhat sensitive to the fact that this is a no-incense mass, you know, but we want to give our incense to Jesus. We want to get, okay, fine, fine. But you know what? Compared to my heart, what does it mean? Nothing. Can I say it means nothing at all? Now, if I'm giving my heart in it, great. But if I'm not giving my heart and I'm giving the gift, garbage, nothing, nothing, worse than nothing. We're trying to deceive God. God, God owns everything, right? I mean, we, we are gods. He, he is due everything, everything we are and everything we have. But he wants ourselves. He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He wants you to enter the great love story. That's, that is, this is a love story. Look, there's, on, there's only one way to explain this, and it's love. The fact that God will become man. That's pazzo d'amore. This is crazy in love. He's crazy in love. It's only love that could, that could keep him on the cross. It's only in love. And we have to make, we have to make our pilgrimage having, having received the love of God, having been called out of ourselves by the love of God. We have to make our pilgrimage now to him, to Jesus with everything we've got and everything we are. He demands it all. Let me, uh, no, this is a sidetrack. Okay, fine. Let me, indulge me for just, for just a minute. I, I sometimes think, you know, we, we celebrate the Mass. I try to sing as loud as I can. Do you know? I don't know why. And I don't, not, I'm not encouraging you to sing as loud as you can. But maybe push it a little bit more. Do, why? Because it's all for Him. It's all for Him. Every last squeaky note that I can get out of this body, you know, it's, it's all for Him. Right? I want to give him fitting homage, right? I want to, I want to, I want to do him fitting homage, fitting homage. I want to, I want to give him fitting praise. And that means my whole self. I've got to pour my whole self into it. And here, this is exactly what we're doing at the Mass. Jesus, the representation of Jesus' sacrifice, of his Good Friday sacrifice. He's offering everything he has, everything he is to the Father. And we, although we can only make a meager offering on our own part, we're caught up in his perfect offering. So give your whole self. This is the time. This is the time. We make our pilgrimage. We, off, we open up our treasures. It doesn't matter what it is. What it has to be is your heart and your life. And we want to love Jesus. We want to adore him. We want to give him devoted acts, right? We want we, everything for him. We want to live for him. He's the king. I'm not. Herod's not, thank God. No, no one else is, right? No one else is. No political ruler is going to solve your problems. Again, right? No, no, no amount of entertainment, no, no number of distractions is going to solve your problems. He, he is. But it's not magic. It's not magic. 
It's our being drawn into his own life of love that makes the difference. And it's going to happen step by step, piece by piece, as he now breathes his life into us and enervates our heart. He, re he energizes us. He inspires us. He gives us the strength that we need to make the journey with him to make of our, make of our whole heart and our whole life a pleasing offering to God, to live under Jesus' rule and to advance his rule wherever we go. What does it mean? To live in his love. He loves you. Receive his love. And then do your best, of course, with his strength and guidance and the rest, do your best to bring his love to life where you are, to commit yourself to the cause of love and to go where it is he leads, trusting in him to go where it is he leads. Thank <laughs> you.